Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Pin Count, the podcast where we go way into the tech. We're not your normal tech news podcast. We'll dig into the APIs, look at the tech specs and sweat the details. Half an hour, once a week, we'll try and keep this short. We're not journalists or podcasters, we're developers and computer scientists. I'm Ian Wallace and I'm here with my co-host Douglas Shearer. Hi Ian. So what are we talking about uh, for our first ever episode? Well, so the start of last month, or perhaps more correctly, the middle of last month saw Apple's WWDC. I know there were some topics that were close to your interests there, especially regarding metal and deep learning. Yeah, so just before you uh, turn off the podcast, because it's just another Apple podcast, we are planning on talking about some other stuff too. Although having said that, look at the next thing. We're going to speculate a bit on future MacBook Pros. But also a bit of chat about graphics cards. There's some interesting stuff going on in that area recently. What else have we got in there? And finally, we've got some chat about some new upcoming SSDs from Samsung. Yeah, as you mentioned, WWDC was recently in. You'll notice I tweeted a bit about uh, deep learning APIs just before the the keynote. Because um, it seems to me very likely that eventually we're going to see dedicated hardware in iPhones to do deep learning. If you're wondering what deep learning is, this is probably not the podcast for you. For anyone that doesn't know, in a few sentences, what is deep learning, in? It's a way of understanding what is in an image with a computer. It's the best way we have as humans to understand image content. You apply convolutional filters to images, which means looking at the patterns of pixels, and then you apply layers and layers of these filters so you look at the pixels then you look at the arrangements of these sub areas of pixels and so on all the way up until you go up this bunch of pixels is a dog or something like that okay and the reason it's exciting right now is we can do this very very well big challenges like ImageNet, we're hitting sort of 96 percent accuracy so your error rate is below five percent and uh, if i gave you an ImageNet images to classify right now you'd probably get about 15 percent wrong and part of that is because Computers can be very good at doing tricky things like telling breeds of dog apart and things like that. But if you practice a bit, you get down to about 5 or 6%. So it's um, super exciting. There's a lot of cool stuff in this area just now. Have you seen the app Prisma that's been like all over Twitter recently? Yeah, I've mostly seen it with you posting pictures. And I guess it's maybe Instagram. I've perhaps seen them on Facebook as well. Yeah, so that's that's an application of a deep learning that's a neural that'll be a neural network trained on the style of various artists and then they're applying it to to your images so the idea is it's learning um the shapes and types of uh, line stroke that make up a particular art style but then it's taking the structure from your photo and applying those styles to it so you could take a, a picasso style brush stroke and then apply it to any picture you take from your photo library yeah that's it it's um the technical details of how they're doing that would be quite interesting to know because I noticed when I was playing with it a lot and hitting it really quickly that um, it times out occasionally and you get messages that their servers are overloaded. So they're obviously all doing it server side, which is interesting. It's especially interesting actually because Neural Style, which is the big published work on doing this type of work, they actually patented their approach. So I wonder how uh, they're getting around that or if they're just ignoring it or perhaps just being European and uh, avoiding it that way. Okay. But anyway, so that's doing on the server, but clearly people are going to want cool filters for their Instagram and, you know, other useful applications of uh, image recognition on their phones. And I, my kind of thoughts as to why Apple might get into this kind of came from uh, thinking about computational photography and how can Apple make a better camera? 
And, well, they can make a better camera, not by taking better pictures, but by doing cleverer things with them. And more and more people are working on dedicated hardware for this. So I noticed, um, I kind of guessed that there would be frameworks to support deep learning on uh, new Apple chips, or, or sorry, on the new iOS, and then this will lead to uh, dedicated hardware and iOS devices. Um, so I had a scan of the uh, session things, and I saw something interesting in the uh, metal performance shaders. Uh, they've basically added a bunch of low-level APIs that help you deploy convolutional neural nets on device. Um, so this is just the things to do the recognition, the inference pass, we call it. So they've so the training is still happening somewhere else. The really computationally intensive part of it is being done by Apple or or developers in the cloud or on servers or in a box on, at their feet on their desk and not on the phone. Yeah, that was the interesting thing. So they 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 present this lovely demo of them running uh, Inception Network, which is kind of state-of-the-art for uh, image recognition, and they're saying uh, real-time, whatever that means, 11 billion operations a second, whatever that means, but basically instant, if you will, uh, image recognition of an ImageNet network running in 20 megs or so on device. And that's great, but then to train it, I mean, um, training ImageNet, that's a couple of uh, GTX Titans for two weeks on a typical data to train that network. Um, so yeah, that'll be in the cloud or it's, it's kind of funny. I think that, uh, Apple presented this framework so you can do your inference on device. And then they didn't talk about the training story at all. Um, they just, uh, said, oh, look, you can do this. Just take your model weights that you've learned somehow and apply it on the device. So I, I don't really know what their, their plan is there. This perhaps gets into a topic we're going to cover later, which is, you know, new Mac Pros or MacBook Pros. But do you think they're holding something back because they've got a nice solution for that? Um, it's hard to say because mo- it's not like Apple to have no solution for it because they're saying, oh, yeah, do great things with their cameras. But um, then they don't quite tell you how, which yeah. is a bit weird. They might... Um, just assume that anyone that's likely to really care about optimizing this already works in the area and, and knows the answer. Because, I mean, I looked at the frameworks and I could immediately see how I could translate uh, a CAFE model, for example, which is a popular framework, into executable code for these shaders. Um, it's also notable that they've got um, they've had uh, neural network frameworks in the Accelerate framework. That's the kind of a vector operation stuff, things like that, the sort of fast maths libraries for ios those those um apis have been in there for a while um although they've been fleshing them out a bit recently for ios 10 and uh, mac os as it is now known um silent lowercase m um but then i don't know there's some there's some kind of uh, interesting stuff with regarding the training side so uh google's tensorflow is one of probably the sort of popular framework to use for sort of deployment scale neural net stuff they're really focused on um scaling out across many many machines and this is what you kind of need if you're twitter or facebook or whoever um training on billions of images so uh, apple are obviously doing this training somewhere because they've got an implementation of we presume the same tools in their photos app yeah for sure i mean yeah use there's been some people uh experimenting with that and uh trying out and noticing the fact that you can uh, search photos for dogs or cats or a gamepad as uh, Jonas Rakuza on ATP has been 
using as his test case. Yeah, so there's a a, a medium post by uh, a Yin and he, I guess, digging through the either source code or testing it out somehow. He's discovered there's about 4,400 different scenes and objects that photos uh, can recognise. Things like anchovies or theme parks or automatic teller machines or avocado or travelling bags. I mean, some of them seem quite frankly absurd. Apple must be taking selections of images from somewhere, training on these, boiling that down to whatever they need to put on the device, and then the device is going through and recognising these things in a photograph, which obviously has implications for their sort of stance on privacy, where they're not actually looking at your photograph or analysing your photographs in the cloud. Yeah, there's a couple of interesting sort of uh, points there about how this might play up. I'll maybe try and wrap up this topic soon, but it looks like they've been they're obviously there's some weird stuff in there that maybe has more significance in other cultures so it's not it, it definitely looks from the start like it's not really a necessarily a US focused thing and it's kind of um the way that they've got these set topics i think it's an awful lot like the um the new Siri API stuff like intense yeah yeah they call them intense and the reason what they do there is they have certain categories that they know how to parse in different languages and understand and then they um, act on those and I think it's the same that they want to choose categories so they can separate out the um, natural language understanding of what the user wants from the actual finding stuff in images so I suspect that's why they've done it Okay. regarding the training yeah. so TensorFlow I mentioned is used at scale and that recently got ported to iOS and also recently they added um, support for NVIDIA GPUs on Macs at it which kind of came in a commit um, last not last week now but the week before um, WWDC, which I thought was quite interesting, which is it comes on the back of a, a month or two ago where um, NVIDIA announced that uh, CUDA 7.5 and CUDA 8 be supported on uh, macOS, which is hasn't been well supported until recently. And that's interesting because you can't buy a Mac with an NVIDIA GPU, and yet NVIDIA GPUs are the only game in town when it comes to um, training neural networks. Um, oh, well, I say only, that's not strictly true. There's been some interesting stuff out of AMD last week on that, actually, but um, maybe that's a topic for another time. Okay, well, it sounds like we're making a sort of nice, natural progression into our next topic, which is the subject of NVIDIA GPUs in Macs. When was the last time we had an NVIDIA GPU in a Mac? Oh, that's like the previous model of the uh, MacBook Pros, I think. The, yeah, I think so. I think, I think it might even been when they still made a 17-inch. Um, I don't think it was that long ago because it was the Retinas had one. The first Retinas had a um, 750 or something in them. Okay. Um, but yeah, a while ago. You can actually still buy them on the refurb store from Apple, presumably because there's people that need the NVIDIA GPUs and that's that's the only one you can buy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like this would be a kind of obvious, uh, an obvious reason for Apple to sell Pro Max because, I mean, wh- why would you buy a Pro Mac at the moment? Yeah. So you're an iOS developer. You want to use Apple's deep learning tools on device. You need to train something. If Apple has a Mac Pro or a MacBook Pro that you can do training on, they've got a solution for you. Yeah. I mean, I know myself as I do a lot of development in uh, AI and neural networks and things like this, um, I don't use Macs for work because I can't. I mean, I cannot buy a powerful enough Mac. I mean, most most people complain. You get a lot of complaints uh, for consumers about Macs being high-end and stuff, but my complaint is, oh, these terrible low-end machines that have no RAM and 
crappy GPUs are just no good for me. Um. So. So what what would you like to see in a new machine? If you had to have the the dream spec, you could get it tomorrow. What would it be? Um. Well. In terms of like the Mac Pro doesn't interest me that much. I'm I'm pretty sorted work-wise for a nice powerful workstation with NVIDIA GPUs. But um it'd be really nice to have a Mac for my my primary laptop. Um so I guess it would be a MacBook Pro, but no one in their right mind would buy a MacBook Pro now. Um their Intel new Intel CPUs have been out ages. Um the as I said, the GPUs they're AMD and AMD is no use to me at all. Um and AMD fans will hate me for that if uh, if the, any one of them is listening. Um, so yeah, I would. Nah, there's lots of AMD fans actually. I think there's some quite good reasons you'd want an AMD GPU now, but we can get onto that. So I think if I was wildly speculating, I I would quite like. Uh, I want a powerful machine, but I want a laptop. Um, so I'd go for a MacBook Pro. Um, I think with the new uh, Pascal Core based uh, GPUs from Nvidia, it's it's kind of like. You can actually have a pretty good guess at what the GPU will be like because it's in sort of high-end mobile stuff and it, even on the desktop, power dominates everything yeah. these days. So we can kind of look at how many teraflops of power we can get per watt from the GPUs and we can assume that it kind of follows a curve. I mean, it's if you've seen the uh, Tegra TX1, that's the really low-power embedded ARM, ARM chip with a really big GPU attached to NVIDIA Make. From that all the way up to the DGX1, which is there. 130,000 deep learning uh, supercomputer in a box sort of thing. They get about uh, 15 watts per flop at the sort of maximum performance. Um, 15 watts per gigaflop or teraflop? Uh, teraflop, okay. sorry. Yeah, no, not single flop, that'd be awful. <laughs> um, so I, I reckon if they, uh, if they take the current new GPUs like they've had the 1080 on desktop and the, the 1070 and the 1060, they actually follow a pretty uh, smooth curve in terms of the amount of power they're getting for the amount of power consumption. So I reckon looking at the... Uh, so a current 15-inch MacBook's got a sort of 45, 50-watt GPU in it. If you look along the curve, then that would be something like the power of a, a current uh, desktop GTX 960, um, but in a 15-inch. So that's really quite impressive. I mean, that's... Um, a big improvement at somewhere in the three teraflop range. So with the new generation Pascal GPUs from NVIDIA, we'd probably still be looking at a 1060 in there? Um, I think they'd probably call it a 1080M because they like to bump the numbers higher because higher, higher numbers are better okay. on, the, on the mobile parts. Um, and 8 gig of RAM in it, because why not? Uh, they're really bumping the memory density in the new GPUs. And again, if you want to do any meaningful deep learning, you kind of want at least 6 gig Ideally 12, but I think 12 gig in a laptop is never going to happen from Apple. Um, and then, so yeah, we'll have an 8 gig 1080M, about as fast as a desktop 960. Um, CPU-wise, Intel have started doing mobile Xeons. So, yep, I'll have one of them, please. Um, they're already out in the Dell Precisions and things like that. Unfortunately, I think they're likely to max out the RAM at 32 gig. I'd really like 64. 32 gigs is a limit for some work. But... 32 gig is the limit on two sticks of DDR4. You need to go to four channels and extra sticks to get to 64. And Apple like thin devices. Yeah, that's it. I'll have a, I'll have four, a four core Xeon um, doing somewhere about three and a half gig, a 1080M with eight gigs and a 32 gigs of RAM, please. What what would you want? Oh, yeah, you good, good luck with that three and a half gig Xeon in the laptop. So I think for me, I would forgo the 
discrete GPU, simply so I could keep a 13 inch machine. I do like that size for uh, carrying it around. Um, I definitely like 32 gig of RAM. I'm hitting a limit on 16 quite a lot with some of my work. Um, a 2 terabyte SSD would be nice as well if it's one of those nice NVMe, PCI, whatever SSDs, it's super fast. You'll have one of those, please. And cut two terabytes, so that, that's that's problematic with the Z height, as in the thickness of the chips. That's yeah. I'm, I mean, I bought a half gig one, and I think you could get like a seven. Was it seven sixty when they originally bought this at the end of twenty thirteen? I feel like they could get to. Two, I mean, yeah, two terabytes in the same space, you know, n- nearly three years later as it is. Uh, You'd hope so. I mean, it's, yeah, they'd have to move away from standard form factors for the, the things, but that, that's never really stopped Apple. Yeah, it's never stopped them before. I mean, the, the, the thing that's, the little card that's in mind just now isn't a standard that anyone else adopted. They moved on to something else pretty soon afterwards. Um, I think, yeah, two terabytes, I realise it's quite a niche thing. I just like to have a lot of space for experimenting with things like video encoding and such like um, i mean yeah two terabyte ssd that's going to be like a you know a 900 pound 1200 dollar or whatever yeah I'll, I'll i'll happily pay that i mean I, I use external ssds and little thunderbolt enclosures just now and sometimes i have to carry one of those about and that kind of defeats the purpose of having a 13 inch machine if you're carrying other items as well yeah sure i mean again we're talking pro machines as well i mean i'm pretty sure my 10 am with my 32 gigs of ram in my uh Xeon is not going to come cheap either. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's something I use every day. I've never regretted getting top spec processors before. You know, I bought the i7 three years ago and it's still a really fast machine. Um, but yeah, more, bigger, faster, whatever it needs to be. Um, and also, if I could run a 4K, 5K display, um, I could finally retire all my old, like, t- um, like 1200 pixel displays. Yeah. Oh yeah, terrible! Like there's more pixels in my phone than on a 13-inch MacBook. Yeah, sadly. Pretty much. Um, I doubt they'll change the screen resolution that much though, because it'd mess up all their UI elements. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's more for the external display that's the you know the the issue. I mean, the Retina display on the the actual um, the built-in display works is fantastic. Um, actually, if I use it for say a day or two and then I come back to the non-Retina display, you can you know I read text all day. I can see the pixels. Yeah, I mean, I'm staring at a 27-inch 5K iMac now, so I, f- I feel sorry for your eyes. <laughs> um, so you're you're uh, mocking me about my hopes for a 3.5 gig Xeon and a 15-inch MacBook Pro. But so are I mean, you, you thinking quad-core there rather than six-core? Uh, well, I, so I've been um, raiding the Arc a bit. Um, if you don't know what the Arc is, anyone, it's uh, Intel's uh, tech spec site. Um, it's a database. Yeah, I mean, oh, you can lo- you can lose a lot of time there. So in the current 15-inch, the high end, it's an i7-4870, and that's a 47-watt chip going up to 3.7 gigahertz. And that's the that's the current one, and that's, you know, 4870, that's two generations out of date. So um, you can de- it's definitely on the cards. But um, if I was being really crazy about what they put in a 15, I think they, they could go more cores, right? I mean, you've seen the Xeon Ds. Yeah, Xeon D, they're putting 12, 16. I think the newer ones might even have 20 cores inside a very low um, power draw CPU package. Those are, I suppose, similar to laptop boards. They're um, uh, ball grid array, you know, soldered straight onto a board. You get them from someone like that. You know, you can't, it's not a socketed CPU. Um, but the the power efficiency and the, even on sort of um, very highly threaded 
uh, transactional server workloads they get incredible throughput with that small power envelope so yeah it's totally possible you could have something like that in a notebook i don't yes. i don't know how much use more than let's say eight cores is in a well notebook. you say that so you say eight cores so like i said the 487 in there just now 47 watts so what does 45 watt buy you in a xeon d it gets you um eight cores two gigahertz base up to 2.6 turbo support for uh, up to 128 gigs of ddr4 and uh, a full 32 pci express lanes which is pretty exciting especially if you're wanting a, a whole pile of storage in there that's fast um or alternatively they also do an interesting thing which is 16 cores up to 2.1 gig in the same power envelope so i mean okay 16 cores totally unlikely um eight cores i, I don't know it'd certainly be interesting to see if they could get the eight cores with that maybe an even higher clock yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe three point five gigs totally possible when you've only got eight of those cores uh, running in the package. Yeah, and in, and currently the thirteens are only dual core, but I mean there's some options there too. I mean the current chip in there, the top end ones, twenty eight uh, watts. Yeah, twenty eight watts and TDP down of twenty three. So uh, five 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 seven U. Um, the sort of the the direct replacements I've been kind of eyeing up in my uh, rating of the arc there's a um so there's a 6970hq which has got a T- tdp down of 35 watts so it's, it's not a million miles it's possible yeah you know if they're if they're changing the chassis as well and that gives you four cores with turboing up to 3.7 gig so yeah I, th- that, I think i'd be very very happy if i could get something like that yeah. i mean that's hitting 45 watts but it's not at that sort of frequency but it's not uh, out realm out of realms of possibility that they would um, configure it just to be bursting up to that, but spending most of its time at a lower frequency, and that would suit a lot of workloads very well. Yeah, certainly yeah. lots of my workloads, development wise, are one or two threads that run for like single seconds at a time, and then there's nothing for ages. But the reason I think the burstiness might be interesting if they've got that is because just your regular person who's uh, bought their two thousand dollar laptop just to browse the internet, then having a really high single threaded performances pretty useful for rendering pages and things yeah it definitely makes a difference for yeah doing dom layout in the browser and javascript in the browser all those things are more often than not single threaded and actually quite compute intensive and then even more interesting there's a slightly more obscure cpu which is a 6700t which is t's normally like the sort of low power embedded ones and it's a tdp of 35 watts so that's getting even closer, and that's bursting up to 3.6 gig for four cores. Okay, that sounds quite promising. Uh, the reason that these maybe wouldn't be in there is none of them have decent GPUs in them. Um, so oh, it, I, it would only be possible in a 15-inch where you have the discrete GPU as well. Actually, sorry, I tell a lie. That first one I talked about, the 6970HQ, that's TDP down to 35 watts, it's got uh, the Iris Pro 580 in it. Okay, that's quite impressive. So, like that. That would be super exciting, and it's a bit higher thermal. But as I said, they could—they don't have to use all of the power all of the time. Um, so moving things along to the Mac Pro, which I guess neither of us are really in the market for. We both have other machines that are either have or are capable of taking GPUs for doing that sort of work. Um, Nvidia have just announced, or I think it might even still be rumored that there's going to be a successor to the Titan X called the Titan P, using yeah, one of their, August, yeah, using one of their Pascal 
chips and it's supposedly 1.5 times faster than the GTX 1080 which is their current top of the line yeah so the interesting thing here is it's the the same uh, fully enabled uh, GP204 chip that's in the GP100 server thing that they've announced um, but what I'm really looking looking to see is so the new Pascal chips the, the big advantage that they've got for a lot of workloads is their FP64 so that's their um double floating point compute is only a third of the speed of the single precision which um like maxwell the current generation is 132 so it's like you know an order of magnitude better floating point uh for so that, that's just the case of having the, the the silicon on board to deal with the different type of math yeah so it if it's fully enabled gp204 they will have that silicon on there whether or not they disable it in the driver and don't let you use it then that'll be interesting because from my point of view if they don't if they allow you to do such fast fp64 compute on the titan p i mean the titan p is probably going to be what 800 pounds whatever that is in dollars probably a lot of dollars now 1500 dollars a card um although that might sound expensive if you're used to consumer stuff compared to buying a tesla card at three thousand pounds you know five thousand dollars plus um that's cheap so if they have fully enabled FP64 cores in the Titan P, why would I buy a Tesla? So could you see two of these in a Mac Pro soon? Um, Given the software we talked about earlier where both um, uh, TensorFlow and Apple themselves seem to be pushing in that direction behind the scenes? Um, I think no. And the reason I think no is I think they would go for the Quadro cards, whatever the Quadro equivalent is. So, so keep it as a... So, sort of graphics workflow orientated card as opposed to a, a gaming or a compute card yeah because they add like in the quadros they add a lot of stuff a lot of fancy monitor output stuff like if you need to get displays aligned for your projecting you know multiple overlapping projections and you need to correct them all so they co-registered um there's i think there's better stuff for color in the drivers and things like that all the sort of stuff that's important to your sort of typical mac buyers so with, so with apple do you think we'd get similar performance parts from the quadros they tend to be a bit less okay less performant um because i think they're just often ecc ram yeah they're playing it uh-huh. safe for a enterprise market but also they sometimes have much larger frame buffers like you can currently buy an m6000 with 24 gigabyte frame buffer which is quite exciting for certain types of work um and this kind of like this leads us maybe neatly onto the reason why they might stay amd um and it's amd have suddenly got competitive again which is interesting Certainly in the gaming space, they've recently announced and launched the RX 480. Yeah, that's interesting. Did you see all the um, <laughs> the shenanigans around the the post-release of the 480? So I saw there was, it looked like they were um, their early, the early versions of their drivers, and I should say this has been solved now, would actually draw more than the spec amount of power from the PCI lane on the motherboard. Well, yeah, you say solved, but um, they're still being a bit cheeky. So there's kind of two things going on. So... Yeah, you normally you can get seventy five watts out the um out the connector out the slot, and you can get seventy five watts out a six pin connector. Um, the main thing limiting compute at the moment, as we've said earlier, is power. So this hundred and fifty watt is the kind of limit on how fast their RS four eighty RX four eighty is. Now they were drawing more than seventy five watts out of uh, both those connectors, which could damage your motherboard. So that's you know bad press there. So they've released an updated driver, 
But what the updated driver does is it, it cuts the power draw to 75 watts on the slot, but it puts all that extra power on the power connector. So they're still technically running the power connector out of spec. Okay, so that's still going to be bad for people who are running a very tight power envelope on, say, a cheap power supply. Yeah, you can enable a special compatibility mode option in the driver, which makes it, it makes it play nice and stick to the power limits. But it's it's not the default. And it's a bit cheeky because all the benchmarks and all the reviews will be on the original drivers. That's what everyone sees. Yeah, I think um, NVIDIA did something similar with the 1080 where it looked like they posted cards out to reviewers with uh, overclock options already turned on. So they were benchmarking them on that, thinking they were in stock settings. When consumers got their stock cards, they were already on lower clocks, weren't seeing the same performance. Yeah, but as you said, the RX480 is a really cheap card. It's $200. Um, the performance for that is equivalent roughly to a GTX 970. And even better, the $200 is a 4 gig card that's got a slightly slower RAM. The uh, more expensive sort of $240 card's got 8 gigs and faster RAM. Apart from, that's not actually the case for the early cards. Um, yes, yeah, so I saw some of the 4 gig cards were actually 8 gig cards, but with uh, half of the RAM masked off in software somehow. Yeah, someone uh, prized each sync of one for a look and kind of went, oh, hello, there's uh, extra RAM here. Uh, flashed the BIOS from one of the uh, the faster cards. Because that's what they were doing to reviewers. They were actually sending out review samples with two BIOSes so uh, they could review both cards without actually needing both cards. But do both the cards not differ for consumers? Because you say well, there's a slower RAM and the 4 gig one. So In theory, yes. But in practice, people have been finding all the ones out the first batch certainly are all 8 gig cards. Okay. Interesting what people do when yields are low. Yeah, the other reason I think that Apple might might stay AMD is VR is kind of like a big thing or trying to become a big thing. I mean, you hear a lot of hype about it, but I mean, you've not tried a VR headset, have you? I have not yet, no. Yeah, so I mean, you're quite into your tech and interest in visual media and all that sort of thing, and you've still not been in a VR, a just, VR headset. It's so. just cost that. You know, makes me hold off it. You know, you need a good graphics card, and you need a you need to buy a headset. I think the HTC Vive is about six hundred and fifty pounds. I'm not sure how much the Oculus is. Yes, yeah, a bit less, but you don't get the, the hand controllers. Everyone seems to think it's the next big thing, and you can kind of see why. Because I've I was lucky enough. I was at the VR World Congress. It was down near me, and so I've been in a Vive and a an Oculus Consumer Edition and various other ones. I've got a DK one myself. And if you've tried good VR, it is astonishing. Astonishing is the word. But um, this is kind of AMD's play. So AMD are really heavily going after VR, not just on the consumer side, because bear in mind that all the current generation consoles are AMD chips. PSVR will likely be the most popular VR, and it's an AMD chip. So you kind of got to think all the big games and things, they'll be AMD. They'll have very optimized AMD render pipelines. Um, so that might be a reason to buy AMD. You'd, you'd hope for better support in all the uh, AAA games. Yeah, certainly already lots of the games that support DirectX 12 seem to be getting very good numbers out of the RX 480. I know, which is kind of funny. If, you, if you'd if you said, like, even a year ago almost, that you might want to buy an AMD card for better drivers, that would be a bit of a joke. The other reason that they might go for, uh, they might go for pro AMD GPUs and the Mac Pros is AMD at the VRWC we're really pushing their high-end Fire Pros for VR content creation. You can buy a Fire Pro with a 32 gig frame buffer in it, which is uh, mad, really. So things are definitely looking up in that department. 
I mean, we're, we must be getting something new. Or not, not we, but, you know, Apple must be releasing something new because the AMD cards they have in the Mac Pros currently were out of date literally weeks after they released the Mac Pro. Um, so hopefully there's something new there. So I think we'll leave our uh, Samsung SSD topic for next week. Thanks for listening to PinCount. Show notes are online at pincountpodcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at Douglas F. Shearer, and you can find Ian on Twitter at the underscore accidental. You can also follow the show at at pincountpodcast. We'd love to get your feedback. Um, it would be great to know if anyone actually listens to this and listens all the way through. have been joking with Doug all along now. When we get a li- or one listener, it'll be amazing. So yeah, let us know. And how do you let us know? Well, you can uh, tweet us your feedback or questions, or you can use the hashtag AskPinCount. If you want to give us longer feedback, or you know, you just can't explain how wrong we got something without reference to the tech specs, the PDFs, and the APIs, well, you can email us at wrongontheinternet at pincountpodcast.com. Thanks very much. We'll speak to you next week.